We have all experienced moments in our journey of faith that seemed as if we're on a roller coaster. Now, some love roller coasters and they feel like they're exciting and thrilling, but for others, it scares the life out of you and maybe even gets you sick. Roller coasters might be a great part of an amusement park experience, but they shouldn't be a part of our daily life. I'm your host, Roger Nelms, and over the past nearly 30 years of ministry, I've witnessed so many struggle through roller coaster Christianity because of a lack of spiritual disciplines. Hey, listen, I've even experienced this cycle myself, so you're not alone. This podcast is for Christians who want to get off the up and down cycle of passive faith and learn how to live the abundant life that God intended. So twice a month, we're going to discuss biblical truth and action steps that will put you in the driver's seat of your spiritual development and also empower you to maintain an upward growing faith that not only benefits you, but makes an impact in the world around you. You're listening to The 12, building habits that lead to spiritual maturity. Stick around. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe, leave comments, share it with your friends, and even leave us a review. Enjoy the show. I think it's safe to say that we all face dilemmas every day. I'm talking about situations where we have to make decisions about what's better for us personally or as a family or as a business. Some of those decisions are easier than others, and some are just simply preferences of choice, like what's better, Coke or Pepsi? Uh, What's better for me, whole wheat or whole grain? What's a better music service, Spotify or Apple Music? Uh, And for you ladies, when you're going to get a manicure, maybe the question is, what's better, gel nails or shellac? I wouldn't know. I never have gotten my nails done. My wife's trying to convince me to go get a mani-pedi with her, but yeah, I don't know. Well, I had a situation recently, though, where I had to decide what was better. And maybe you can relate with this kind of situation or maybe the exact situation. Um, I had a few consultations about getting some dental work done And one doctor last year I went to, uh, and this doctor wanted to break my jaw so he can move it forward because he said I had a sunken jaw. And then he wanted to remove, uh, remove a few teeth and then give me braces for about 18 months with a price tag of about $10,000. Um, then a second dentist consult, uh, he wanted to remove just one tooth, put braces on the bottom teeth, and then Invisalign on the top for about 12 months, and that would cost just over $4,000. And then the final dentist I went to um, said that I probably won't lose any teeth and that I can do Invisalign on the top and the bottom for about 9 to 12 months, depending on how it goes, and it would cost about $4,500. So what's better, though, or what's even the best decision? Uh, we all face decisions where we have to know what is the best or the better thing to do. Now, each doctor in my case, each doctor was very professional. They were very convincing. Ultimately, though, it's my choice. I have to live with the decisions and the final outcome. But of course, the decision doesn't only affect me. Uh, The price tag is going to affect my family finances. Uh, The repeated visits to the dentist is going to potentially cut into my time at work or with my family. Uh, My final appearance will hopefully be a little more pleasant to some people as I minister from week to week. 
Um, and not only, you know, it's going to improve my confidence even. Uh, so, but on our topic today, I really want us to answer the question, what's better? I want to take a quick look at a story that we've probably all have heard and will recognize as we read it from Luke's gospel in chapter 10, verse 38 through 42. It says this, As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care what my sister, that she's left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what's better and it will not be taken away from her. So Martha was busy preparing her home. And like so many of us do, when people come over, we straighten up, doing the dishes, baking cookies, making coffee. Uh, She was entertaining some very important guests. So, of course, we're all going to naturally be like, well, yes, that needs to get done. And there was Mary, of course, her sister, just sitting there at Jesus' feet, just kind of soaking it all in, hanging on every word that Jesus said, maybe even taking notes, who knows, But let me ask you, who are you more like? Martha, the detail-oriented, get the job done, there's always something more to do? Or are you more like Mary, who just kind of was relaxing and living in the moment? And there are, for all of us, so many things that consume our thoughts, our emotions, our energies, whether it be worry or fear, doubt, Uh, relationships, successes, or lack of successes, accomplishments, the desire to to do. Uh, uh, Then there's always our family, our church, our careers, hobbies. Uh, But am I choosing the better thing, the better things in life? And then how do you really know? Well, what Martha was doing was important, and nobody can say it wasn't. I mean, nobody wants to eat off dirty dishes, right? Her, her guests needed food and drink, and uh, cleanliness is important. Uh, I mean, obviously, <laughs> it's definitely important to me. But, I mean, y- you want to do good for your host, right? Well, then there's Mary, who was also doing things that were very important. She was listening to Jesus. She was paying attention to his teaching. She was worshiping him. And that's what good Christians do. But why was one better than the other? Well, perhaps a few maybe simple questions can help us to sort this out. And the three questions I want to pose to us today. The first is, Who am I doing it for? And then secondly, who's getting the glory? And then third, what are the lasting results? See, if the majority of my answers revolve around me, Roger, then I'm most likely not choosing the better things. And so let's let's hit these real quick. Number one, who am I doing it for? Have you ever heard of uh, that acronym WIFM? It's an acronym that stands for what's in it for me. One of my former students uh, years back, his name's Fabian, um, he was always learning and, and just consuming so much information. He was learning about business. He was very entrepreneurial. And he taught me about this principle of WIFM. 
And basically, it's the process of decision-making that's based on pretty much selfish motives, which we're all selfish by nature. Uh, but basically, it's if you're trying to get me to do something or to buy a product or to do what you want, there needs to be something in it for me or I'm probably not going to do it. If it doesn't benefit me directly, then why do it at all? But that mentality feeds our selfish nature. That mentality, it, it breeds this royal mindset. But marketing geniuses have taken this reality and used it to their advantage to sell millions and millions of dollars worth of product. And basically they say, use our product and it will make you look younger. Wear our logo and others will know that you have money. Dress in our style and people will accept you as cool. Uh, drink our beverage and you'll feel great without the weight. <laughs> but in reality, it creates this insatiable consumerism cycle that really leads to frustration. And it's because you'll never have enough. There's something new every day that you're going to want to replace or to outdo what you've already, what you've already done or what you already have because it's all about me. Pleasing me, more for me, and selfishness is never satisfied. But as a believer, it should be the opposite. As a believer, everything I do should not be about me, but rather it should point to Jesus. Look at what Jesus told his disciples in Matthew chapter 5. He said, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Because the light isn't for itself. The light is for others. Verse 16, it says, In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Because it's all for him. Our actions as believers actually have missionary function. What we say and what we do, uh, uh, it all needs to be a spotlight on Christ. Being a light is not about me. Being a light makes it possible for others to see Jesus. And Martha perhaps momentarily lost sight of this. And Matthew is telling us that the condition of being saved is actually a call to action. It's to do, to be light. And when that becomes our perspective and our objective, our ultimate goal, that's, that, that's when our choices change and our motives move us to be more and to do more. It's no longer what's in it for me, but what's in it for others. What's in it for Jesus? And Peter, who traveled with Jesus and probably heard him, in fact, I'm pretty certain he did hear him say those very words recorded in Matthew. He says something very similar in his first letter. Chapter 2, verse 12, he says, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of wrongdoing, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on that day he visits us. So he's saying that even those who don't like you, those who want to hurt you, those who think you're crazy, religious, holier-than-thou fanatics, when you live and when you shine your light, you do everything with Jesus in mind, and even those people are going to take notice, and they're going to glorify God. See, Martha focused on the temporary. She was distracted, the Bible says. And how often do we do the same thing? We get distracted by all the things 
But Mary, however, was focused on the important, the eternal, and that was worshiping Jesus. So think about all those things that you're doing, business, life, family, career, and even serving your community and church, and ask yourself the question, what are you doing it for? And then secondly, who's getting the glory? See, now we live in this success-driven society, and believe me, I want to be successful in what I do. I want to be successful in, in my marriage, in my, in, uh, my ministry, in, in being a good neighbor. But even though we work on teams at times, we want our moment in the spotlight. We want credit for our big new idea, that creative element or that new client or that pat on the back from our boss. We want the glory. And we also often fall into this comparison trap. And Instagram and Facebook are so dangerous uh, of, of a place to be because when you lurk there, it becomes this, we see what others have and what we don't. We see the material possessions, the fit body, the nice clothes, the spectacular trips, the success in their careers, and it builds up in our subconscious, and it could very easily lead to, to this resentment and jealousy and coveting and even questioning God, why don't I have what they have? Hey, I've been there. In fact, just last week I was there and I had to snap out of it. I had to get back into uh, my perspective of what it's all about. Who's getting the glory? And it's exactly what Martha did. She was comparing her efforts and her results to what Mary was and wasn't doing. And I wonder if she was even blaming Mary for her own ineffectiveness, or was it just jealousy because she truly wanted to be with Jesus too? In John chapter 3, we see an occasion where Jesus was with his disciples, and he was in the same vicinity as, as John and his disciples, and, and John the Baptist was ministering and baptizing people, and so was Jesus and his disciples. And and John's disciples got into this theological argument with this uh, uh, unnamed Jewish man, uh, and it was all about the ceremonial washing, and who knows, but maybe maybe this guy would brought up what Jesus was saying, and maybe it didn't line up with what they had heard John say, and maybe it was semantics, maybe it was style, uh, uh, who knows, but it caused John's disciples to jump down this rabbit hole, and they went to John, and they said, Rabbi, Remember the guy on the other side of the Jordan that you used to testify about? And then remember when he came and you actually baptized him? And well, now he's right down the street there. You see him right down there with his disciples and they're baptizing too. And, and people are actually going to him. In other words, they were saying they're going to him instead of coming to us. Man, that's kind of a trap that sometimes we fall into in the church world too, isn't it? See, but John didn't fall for it. He didn't give in to that comparison trap. And in fact, he did just the opposite. He uses his own illustration, similar to how Jesus always told parables. He uses this illustration of a bride and a bridegroom. And we all know that the bride is the focal point of any wedding, and it's, it's all about her, right? Well, in Scripture, we are the bride of Christ, and Jesus is the bridegroom. 
And the humility of Christ is recognized by John here. And he, he, he's letting them know that Jesus elevates the church, the believers, the bride, as the most important thing to him. In the whole illustration, John was shining the spotlight back on Jesus, giving him the glory, all while letting them know that Jesus isn't doing anything out of selfish gain either. What Jesus does, he actually is, he does for the church. He does it for you. And here's the best part. John, in his humility, says, I'm just a friend of the bridegroom. My joy comes in knowing that the bride and the groom are finally getting together. I'm just glad to, to be a part of it. I'm just glad to see it happen. And then he says those famous words that we have probably said a hundred times in John 3, 30. It says, he must become greater, I must become less. He's letting them know that it's all for his glory, not mine. It's all about building his kingdom. See, here's the truth that we learn. I was created for worship, not to be worshiped. So who's getting the glory in your life? Brings us to number three. What are the lasting results? Or what are the lasting results or the benefits to others? Uh, We're talking about legacy. Legacy is never about the one leaving it. When we consider someone's legacy, we think about how they left their mark on the people around them or how they left the world a better place. You know, earlier this year, we lost Ken Block at the age of only 55. That's only a few years older than me right now. He died right after the new year as he was snowmobiling. Uh, It was a crazy accident. Um, But he was a pro rally driver and a stuntman, a crazy, crazy cool stuntman. He was a massive influence on the global world of rally racing, and and he was actually a visionary icon with his Hoonigan lifestyle brand, and he pushed the boundaries of what some have called unorthodox automotive aeronautics, and he really left a mark and a legacy, and I'm definitely going to miss him. But legacy isn't just for the rich and famous. You are creating a legacy even now where you are, whether you realize it or not. You have impact on your family, your personal circle of friends, uh, in the world around you. Anything and everything you touch is your legacy. But something to consider about your legacy is the fact that you leave it behind. It's not really yours. Legacy is something handed down or passed down to others. And the psalmist tells us, How blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His descendants will be mighty on the earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. It's talking about legacy, leaving a legacy for the generations to come. That's legacy. The legacy we leave is the life that we lead. The life of Christ in us, then working through us and passed on to others. So what's your legacy going to be? What are the lasting results of how you lived and what you did? You're building it right now, but it's not for you. Your legacy is for the benefit of others, to bless others. You see, Jesus didn't care much about the work in the kitchen that Martha was doing because what he really wanted was to be with her in relationship. He prefers to be in your presence more than he wants to see your presentation. So let me ask you again, are you more like Mary or more like Martha? Are you distracted by the work or are you focused on the worship? 
Jesus said, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better. Lord, in all the busyness of life, help us to remember what's better. We truly want to let our light shine so others can see you, not us. Let our prayer be similar to that of John's. You must become greater and I must become less. Help us to leave a legacy of lasting results that leaves blessings in our wake. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of The 12. I hope that your faith has been challenged and your heart has been encouraged. If you haven't already, click the follow button so that you'll get updated when we release new free material every two weeks. And if you've enjoyed what you've heard, share it on your social media and invite others to listen as well.